challenging men to be great men. Welcome to the Great Man Podcast with your host, New York Times bestselling author, Stephen Mansfield. Gentlemen, let us begin. I want to talk to you in this podcast about the disease of self-pity. I've watched a lot of men allow self-pity to be a cancer in their lives and to keep them from being the great men that they could be. So I want to talk about it and I want you to listen and I want you to compare what I'm saying to your life, hold it up against your life, and let's see if there's any area of your life in which you can drive self-pity off. I believe that self-pity takes root in a man's life when he has an overriding sense that he has been wronged in life. You can almost see it in his face. He has this sense that somehow, maybe not cursed, but definitely wronged. Some experience or some series of experiences in his background uh, convinces him that fundamentally in life, he has sort of been spit out on the world having been wronged. There is a profound injustice that defines his life. Please remember those words. There's a profound injustice that he has come to believe defines his life. And I want to be compassionate about this because in some cases it's things that are absolutely traumatic and not that person's fault at all. Perhaps a parent was killed or died or left. Um, perhaps there was great tragedy in the family. A brother or a sister uh, died early or or perhaps they were impoverished or uh, you, you never know. Perhaps there was a horrible storm in their community and they were driven from their home and, and the family never quite recovered. You can imagine all the things that might have happened. Perhaps girlfriends or boyfriends, uh, well, not in a sense, but my girlfriends, I'm used to speaking to both men and women, uh, but perhaps girlfriends, uh, you, you, you know, a girlfriend died or a girlfriend left and, and said horrible things. You, you, you can imagine the list of things uh, that might be uh, a factor against a man. But fundamentally, when a man uh, gives in to self-pity, he believes that he has been wronged. Perhaps it's a series of lighter things. A father, a coach, a brother, a friend have all betrayed them, said harsh things, not given them places on the team. But somehow there is, in his opinion, a defining injustice or a series of defining injustices that shape his life. And I have to tell you that what often is going on there, I'm, I'm going to break it down a little bit. Uh, what's often going on there is that there are wounds that have been wrongly viewed. You know, we all sustain wounds in life. We're all going to have hurts. We're all going to have people who wrong us or betray us or say hurtful things. Uh, we're always, every, we're going to have throughout life difficult and painful experiences. Life is hard. Uh, we live in a fallen world. And there, there are going to be pains. There are going to be tragedies. There are going to be losses. I don't mean to make light of it, but we're fools if we don't help each other prepare uh, for those things and also take them as a, as a matter of course, so to speak. I mean, we're all going to suffer death. We need to recognize that. We're all going to experience the death of others during our lives. Um, and we're, all, we're not going to be accepted and beloved and welcomed with open arms by everybody. This is the way the world is. Shouldn't make us hard. Shouldn't make us cynical. But for those who give in to the disease of self pity, what happens is that they look at the rejection they've had, the pains they've had, the wounds they have, and they see them as specific. They see them as specifically targeted towards them, and they take from it a message. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. You know, 
one of the keys to life is to understand what I call, and I learned this from John Eldridge in his great book, Wild at Heart, uh, what I call the message of the arrows. It's a very important truth that you need to know for your life. As I say, we're all going to sustain wounds. The issue is, what is the message that we get from the wounds? What is the message that we absorb into our souls from the wounds? John Eldridge says that when arrows are fired into a man, uh, it's sort of like those old Westerns we see where somebody wraps a, a little piece of paper with a message on it around an arrow and then fires it you know, into the camp of his friends to, to get help. Hey, we need help. Come running. Um, there's a message on that arrow. Well, when we're wounded, we sometimes assume a message from the wounds. In other words, I can be hurt and just say, hey, John is harsh with his words and he hurt me. Um, Or my father died because he was at war. My father, in my case, was a military man, so that might have been possible. It, It didn't happen, but let's just say it did. Let's say he died in the Vietnam War when he was fighting there in the 60s. And if my conclusion was my father was a good man who served to a cause he believed in and, and he died at war, uh, then that doesn't leak any kind of horrible thing into my soul except the grief of missing him. But if my conclusion is my father abandoned my family and went off to fight a stupid war because he was vain and wanted medals, well, that's a completely different message. Do you, do you see what I mean? And of course, neither one of these scenarios are true of my father at all, but let's use it as an example. The message of the arrows in the second case is going to be a cancer to my soul. If I didn't make the team in the 11th grade and the coach said something harsh to me, you shouldn't even have tried out for this this team. You'll, You'll never amount to anything as an athlete. That can become a curse. That can become a message from that wound of rejection that leaks into my soul for the rest of my life. So every wound in your life has the potential to have a message. What that message is, is up to you. In fact, I think we ought to be facing our wounds and saying, well, okay, that coach didn't know that I really do have gifts. That coach didn't know that I could become a good athlete and I'll, I'll just keep on going. Maybe I'll change sports or maybe I'll go to another high school or, 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 or maybe I'll, uh, I'll do something better later in life. Um, and so what happens is that you don't allow a certain message to come from the wound. And this is one of the real keys. People who give in to the disease of self-pity are allowing messages to be attached to wounds that are corrosive to them, that are cancerous. Again, my example, my father dies in Vietnam, and I take from that a a legacy of nobility and, and valor, and he's serving a great cause that he believed in, and he sacrificed his life in a great cause, and I will miss him and grieve his death, but, but I will take from that a well of inspiration. Well, the, that's, that's the first scenario. But if I allow myself to believe that he rejected me, if I allow myself to believe that he abandoned my family, if I allow myself to believe that he sacrificed his life stupidly in a bad cause, well, you see, now that becomes a corrosive cancer. So, the, so men who give themselves and allow the disease of self-pity to fill their souls, they usually have failures they're wrongly interpreting. They're allowing the wrong message to come from the arrows. We're all going to have arrows, but we allow the wrong message to be attached to the arrows and pierce our souls and then seep cancerously into our souls. 
The second thing we tend to do is we tend to misinterpret failures. Um, we tend to look at failures not as, hey, I, I can't believe that I had the guts to run for student council in the 11th grade in high school. Um, I'm proud of myself for having done that. I didn't win, but at least I tried. At least I stepped out. At least I learned some leadership things. At least I was willing to break out of the mold. There's a positive from a failure. Or, you know what? I ran for office. I tried to do some good and my friends rejected me. The whole high school rejected me and shut me down and, and, and didn't, didn't, didn't accept what I was trying to offer. And man, boy, is that a life lesson? Don't ever try to do good and help people. They'll reject you. You see how that's a cancerous, toxic thing. And if we make it even more personal, you know, I ran for office and there are just things about me people don't like. And I just, I never seemed to gain the popularity of other people, other students, other friends. And so I, I just end up, I end up being rejected. And that experience in high school is, is, is the way, is a classic example of my life. That's the message of my life right there. That's the story of my life in microcosm. Well, you see what I'm saying, that the way we look at failure and the way we look at wounds in our lives uh, and the, the message we allow to be attached to them determines what's going on in our lives, what, what, we, what messages we absorb and whether we feel self-pity. I know people who were born into wealthy families, who took amazing vacations, who went to great schools, who lived in unbelievable, uh, unbelievably supportive communities and, and, and uh, had great churches or, uh, or other organizations that sort of encased the family. The family loved them. There was never a sexual assault or a moment of violence or anything in that family that was destructive, um, swimming pools and tennis courts. And yet you meet this person I'm thinking of and you, the fundamental thing you will feel from them is self-pity. You will wonder if this person I'm thinking of has been raped, if they were in prison for 500 years wrongly. You will wonder uh, if they were abused every day of their life. And none of it's true. They had a pristine life, new car upon graduation from high school, new car upon graduation from college, uh, beautiful homes, properties, money. My, my point is that what they did, and I care about this person very much, but what they did was look at specific rather small negative issues in their lives, perhaps not feeling like they were the favored child among four or something like that, and, and letting that put a message in their soul. Uh, I was rejected by my family. My family didn't accept me. I'm always the outsider. Uh, I'm, I'm always the person who's, who's, you know, that kind of message, even though they had an amazing life. I mean, in the top half of a percent of lifestyles of people who have ever walked the face of the earth, they should have been breathing praises to God every day for what they endured. But instead, they allowed the disease of self-pity to take their soul. And that's a tremendously important lesson for all of us. Let me tell you why. Not only does absorbing the disease of self-pity cause us to feel uh, cursed and weak, weak and judged and, uh, and rejected and, and resentful and bitter, and that, that possesses our soul, uh, not only do we feel all kinds of negative things about ourselves and others, and it makes us surly and angry and unengaging and uninspiring and uninspired, but... Also, we will tend, when we feel all those things, to medicate. Now, by medicate, I don't necessarily just mean popping pills, 
But I do mean that when you feel miserable, when you feel terrible, when you feel like you're in the wrong place in the world, um, when you feel like a total misfit in the universe, you're going to do something to ease that pain. It might be food. It might be porn. It might be booze. It might be entertainment. It might be rage and and, uh, resentment and uh, firing people and yelling and screaming and being harsh with your family. Uh, It can be all kinds of things. It might, of course, be alcohol. It might, of course, be pills. Um, it, it might, of course, be over, you know, workaholism and overachieving and trying to let boats and cars and houses and motorcycles you know, fill the hole in your soul. But the real issue is that you stop, turn, face your past and ask yourself, why do I pity myself so much? Why do I see myself so much, to use the overworked term today that we use, like a victim? What really happened? And again, to use the illustration of my father, again, which is completely made up, um, suppose I turn and stop believing that my father rejected my family, abandoned us, and went off and died in a stupid cause. And I say, you know what? He did the best he could do. He loved us. He left a legacy of valor and heroism. He, 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 he did something noble. He didn't leave us because he wanted to. He, did, he left us because he's, he was called. And this was part of what our family was called to endure. And so now we should sort of light our own torches from that flame of sacrifice and devotion and, and, and skill and passion. And, and, and we should live noble lives. You see the difference. You see how you reinterpret something. My example for this I've used many times in my life, especially when it comes to fathers, is Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill's father absolutely, at a factual level, absolutely rejected young Winston. Um, Randolph Churchill, Lord Randolph Churchill, was descending into madness throughout most of his life. He focused a lot of that on uh, Winston. He wouldn't visit him, and when he sent him off, sent him and pack him off to what we uh, Americans call boarding schools, and uh, wouldn't go visit him. And the, the letters from young Winston begging for a visit from mom or dad are just heartbreaking. Um, Lord Randolph would make a speech across the street from a school where young Winston attended and not having seen his son for months, wouldn't even walk across the street, to visit him. It's terrible. But when, when Lord Randolph died in 1895, Winston said, you know, I decided to fulfill my father's legacy. I decided not to give myself to bitterness and not to resent him, but to live out the unfulfilled part of his legacy. And I got to tell you, when I read those words, I was stunned. Because he had every reason to be angry and bitter towards his father, to see his father as the big curse on his life. But instead, he didn't give in to self-pity. He didn't let the disease of self-pity beset him. Instead, he saw his entire uh, political career, which, by the way, was going to last another 70 years. Can you believe it? 1895 to 1965. He saw his entire political career as the fulfillment of his father's legacy, a man he could have hated and resented and distance himself from the entire of the rest of his life. Now, here's what I want you to consider, guys. I want you to look at maybe where you've left self-pity seep into your soul. Think about the stories you tell. Think when you're driving down the road and you're alone or you're out working out or jogging and you're alone and you think about something from your past, you think about how you fundamentally feel about yourself. Is it self-pity? Do you basically pity yourself? Do you feel yourself pursued by a a, a curse? Uh, Do you feel there's a ghost in your life? Of, of darkness and negative that is the, that, it, that emerged, that first arose from negative experiences in your life. I want to suggest to you that you let the message of the arrows go negative and pierce your soul and leak toxically into your soul. And I want you to seriously consider the benefits of your life. I want you to, I want you to wash the disease of self-pity out of your life. If you feel self-pity, if your life is dominated by a feeling of self-pity, you'll be resentful, 
You'll be angry. You'll believe that achievement is not a pot and not possible for you. Um, you will medicate in all the ways that I've described and others. And by the way, you will not be an engaging leader. Your, your, your disease of self-pity will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, uh, and you'll, you'll be thinking, well, people always reject me. And it'll be the way you behave and the spirit you emit that causes them to reject you. You'll be, you'll be creating your own negative, negative circumstances. This will seep into your marriage. It'll seep into the way you lead your children. You'll create children who are diseased. You don't want to do that. Let's get clean of this. Let's face it honestly. Let's reinterpret uh, the, the circumstances of our life and get free from the disease of self-pity. It's a cancer on manhood, and we're made for better things. To join the Great Man community or to book Stephen to speak at your men's event, go to greatman.tv. You'll learn about Stephen Mansfield's two essential books for men, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Building Your Band of Brothers, as well as some other great resources for becoming a great man. The Great Man Podcast is a Mansfield Group production.